Turn in Acts uh, 4. We're going to finish up 4 and go into chapter 5. And there's a lot of things happening. Bam, 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 as the new church is getting started. We've been preaching our way through Acts. And, and there's a whole lot going on. And you can't, can't really take it in big bites because there's so much happening. And the Spirit is so thick and awesome and powerful. Um, and this, today, we're going to get into a, a very unusual day in church. One I hope you've never witnessed before. Uh, but we're going to see that, that God... When, when a period of, is coming, a period of salvation, a period of, of something new in his chapters that he's trying to get across his people, he judges sin very harshly. And we've seen that. We'll talk about that in a minute, how we've seen that throughout the Bible. But uh, we wanted to finish up first at the bottom of four and just kind of see the, the unity that we see here. Um, we see that uh, the magnification of, of God and his glory is being shown and also the multiplication of the church is happening very rapidly. As you see, we, we go from 2,000 souls to 5,000 souls, and, and it's just not one at a time. It's, it's big numbers coming to know Christ. We're going to start in uh, verse uh, 32 of chapter 4. The believers share their possessions. Um, and before we start, I was just wanting you to, well, I want to see, see where God's taking this. Remember when last time we were here, um, they prayed, Peter preached a great sermon. Uh, about, uh, uh, you know, all that God had done for them. Of course, they'd spent some time in jail. Uh, they'd had a great prayer meeting where they prayed together and the building shook, which is amazing. Uh, but these people were just laying it all on the line for Christ. And uh, tonight we're going to look at standing for Christ and some of them that were standing for Christ and taking on persecution. And uh, let me ask you a question to think about before we get to tonight. How do you stand for Christ? How, you know, we talk about, I want to stand for Christ. We sing songs, stand up, stand up for Jesus. How do you stand for Christ? What's the best possible way to stand for Christ in this world today? Think about that, and we'll chew on that some more tonight. Come back and join us at 5 o'clock. But anyway, let's go to 432. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Think about that. All the believers were one in heart and in mind. And this morning, as I look across our congregation here, we probably got... All 80 or 90, I guess. I hope so. Somewhere along in there. And uh, I, I wonder if all of our hearts are in the same place. I wonder if at this very moment we're all thinking about God and who he is and what he's done for us. Is anybody thinking about their job right now? Or anybody thinking about their family? Or anybody thinking about maybe they've got some sickness to go through or some surgery? Or they're thinking about the bills to be paid? Or they're thinking about how wet it is and is my crops going to make it? All those kind of things that we think about when we enter in, we finally get still. If you think about this week, how many times did you actually get still and just think about God? Think about what he's done for us. Think about what he, is, he has given for us. And we've, we've sung about it in a lot of different ways this morning. Think about what salvation means to you. And we come together this morning, and the believers were, were one in heart and one in mind. They, they had one central focus, and that was seeing people come to know this Jesus Christ that they were testifying for. They wanted to see these people come and, and give their heart to him, and, and they wanted to tell them that he died for them on a cross, and they wanted to tell him that, that he's paid their price. And they couldn't think of anything greater to tell someone in their whole life than about this Jesus. And guys, I'm telling you, 2,000 years later, we are to have that same heart, that same mind that I can't think of anything greater in my mind than to tell someone about how much Jesus loves them. And so we see the unity here. We see the Spirit 
It was unified. And when we see a spirit-filled church, we talked about that last week. These are some of the signs. First of all, they're going to be unified. When a church is spirit-filled, when when First Baptist Kaiser is spirit-filled, we're going to be one and we're going to be unified in what we want to do here. And guys, I know we have a lot of different needs to meet, a lot of different things to do, but the one thing that ought to unify us is seeing men and women, boys and girls, come to know Christ. That should be number one on our list as a First Baptist Church of Kaiser, to unify, to go out and tell others about him. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That's my stuff. You ain't getting my stuff. You're not, you're not going to get anything I've got. It's all mine. I worked hard for this. This is mine. Think about that verse. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Guys, listen to me. Think about this just for a minute. Who owns what we've got anyway? Who gave us what we've got? What's his name? It's real hard. It's three letters. G-O-D. God, give us what we have. We are stewards. We are managers of that. We are not possessors of that. We don't possess what we have. God has allowed us to have that, and we are to manage over that and take care of that. And then we shouldn't just want to hold on to it. We shouldn't put our trust in our stuff. Sadly, today, a lot of us are putting our trust in our things. A lot of us are putting our trust in our jobs. A lot of us are putting our trust in our bank account or our savings account or our 401k. And guys, as we've seen just a few years ago, if your trust is in a 401k or a retirement plan, it may be out the window tomorrow. Our trust should be in Jesus Christ. That's where our trust should be. And it can never get old. It never gets old trusting Jesus because he owns it all anyway. He created it all anyway. And here, these believers, they were getting it. They were getting it. That's why the church was growing two and three and four thousand people daily or weekly. They were getting what God had got, had brought to them to understand. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Lord Jesus. Now, real quickly, an apostle is defined as this. You, to be an apostle, you had to have seen the risen Christ. To be an apostle, you had to see the risen Christ. So I'm telling you today, there's no apostles left, all right? Somebody may call themselves an apostle. Somebody may tell you they're an apostle of God. But in the Bible, to define an apostle was that you have seen with your own eyes the risen Christ, all right? Now, we feel that we've seen it in our heart, and we believe it by faith, but we didn't see it with our own eyes. And so here is the apostles. They're testifying to that. We have seen a risen Lord with our own eyes. Think about that. Man, wow. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, there's people today that read this verse wrong, these verses, and say, oh, I'm supposed to go sell everything I've got and bring it up here to the church. It didn't say that. Did it say that? What does it say? From time to time... As people had need, they would bring and they would sell something, sell land, possessions, whatever, and they would bring the money and lay it at the apostles' feet. Now, today there's people preaching that you should sell everything you've got and bring it to me and lay it at my feet and I'll take care of it. That's wrong. That's a lie. That's not what the Bible's saying here. It says from time to time, as someone had need, they would sell their things, they would bring it into the church, and lay it at the apostles' feet, which is a way of saying, then they would take and divide it among those that had need. And we do the same thing today in a lot of ways. 
You guys give of your money from week to week. You take of your, your offerings and, and the, the check that God has given you and the, the graciousness that he's bestowed upon you, and you take that and you give of that. You give of that and you tithe from that. And we take that money and we take care of these, these complexes, but we also take it to, to buy literature, to, to share the gospel, uh, to, to do things that will reach out, send kids to camp, have Bible school, you know, on and on and on. We do these things so that the word may go out. And I thank you for giving. I thank you for giving. Let me ask you this. If you're a member, are you giving? Are you giving to the church so that the mission can go out? I'm not saying for you to sacrifice everything you've got. I'm not saying that you should sell all you've got and bring it up here. I'm saying that if we are a member of this body, we should look around and see the needs that this church has as far as going out with the gospel, and we should be, want to be a part of that in every form and fashion that we can. Because again, God gave it to us, to be managers over, to be stewards over, and what a better way to manage what he's given us than to find a way to share it with others and to share the gospel with others in our, in our world, in our, our families. So, so a lot going on, a lot happening there, a lot of one accord. So we see a couple signs of the uh, uh, Spirit-filled shirt. They're unified. They're magnified. They had favor with all the people. How do I know that? You don't have to turn back there, but in 2, uh, chapter 2, at the end of verse 47 there, it says, uh, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, um, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, there is always going to be people that are against the church. There is always going to be people that are against the church. Remember that. There were people against this church, the Pharisees, Sadducees. They did not like what was going on one bit. They did not like these people worshiping Jesus Christ, a commoner from Nazareth, they thought, but he was the Messiah. And so they didn't like that, but there's always going to be people that don't like the church. But I'm telling you, the church went on. What happened? Peter and John were arrested. What happened? The church went on. Peter and John got out of jail. What happened? The church went on. They told him to stop preaching the word. What happened? The church went on. And guys, we're coming up some days in our country, in our life, that the, the world may come up against us, but I tell you, on the word of God, his word will go on. It's whether you want to be a part of it or not. His word will not return void. It will go on. And it did not stop them. Even though there's people against the church, when we are on fire from God, when we are excited about God, when we are living the life out there in public, and that's huge, we can't just come in here and say, oh, I love church, and go out there and live like the devil. When we live it out there and people see that, they're going to want to know what's going on, and they're going to want to see the fire burn. And what I mean by that is the fire of the Spirit can fall on this church, and they'll want to come and see what's going on, whether the, church is against, whether the world is against this church or not. And I'm talking about the church in general, not just Kaiser First Baptist. But whether the world is against the church or not, people will come to hear about something that can help them and help their life. And his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's what was going on here. So they were unified. They were magnified. And also, I love this part, they were multiplied. They were growing, baby. They were growing. They were getting bigger all the time. And God was moving. Let me tell you this. Evangelism takes all people. Three or four or five of us can't show up here one night a week or we can't go out on a Saturday and knock on doors. Evangelism is this, as you're going, as you're going, as each of us go to our place in the world every week, it's living the life, it's talking the life, 
It's, it's telling people about Jesus. It's living in such a way that they want what you got. And it's not about your money or anything like that. It's the, the peace that you have. It's the incredible joy that you have, even in the sight of, of, of terrible things and heartaches and, and sickness, and you still continue to be in joy for God. When they see that, the world's going to say, that's something different. I don't see that every day. I want some of that. And they're going to come to see the fire burn. And we're going to show them the Holy Spirit. And that's what you do, guys. That's what you do. Now, there was a great fellow in this church. His name, Joseph, which we don't really know him by that name much, but he was a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas. What a great name. And here's the thing that he did, which means son of encouragement. Guys, I'm telling you, we live in a day where people are not real crazy about the church and they're not really crazy about the, what we believe and what God's word says. And if ever a time in, in all of history, we need encouragement, it's now. We don't need to come in here and gripe about something. We don't need to come in here and say, I don't like that, or I don't like the way they're doing that, or I don't like doing that. And we all have our opinions, and we can deal with those things. I'm not saying you just lay back and let everything go, but I'm saying we should be encouragers. Listen, not every one of us can be a John or a Peter. I understand that. Not every one of us is going to get up here and preach a sermon to a bunch of people that don't like them and tell them they're lost and they need Jesus. Not everybody's going to do that. But I'm telling you one thing that everybody in these chairs can say this morning, they can be an encourager. And this world needs encouragement. Our kids need encouraging. And not just telling them they're great at everything and not just encouraging them that they're the best and nobody else is better than them. I'm talking about encouraging them in God's word as Brother Danny was talking about this morning. Encouraging them to come to God's house encouraging each other when you see up each other uptown hey how you doing man i've been praying for you hey i've been praying that god would just use you and your family i've been praying for your family i know there's been some sickness there and you talk about an encouraging thing to know that i'm not fighting this battle all alone i'm not on an island by myself we need encouragement in this world all we know in this world is criticism all we know in this world is putting people down all we know in this world is they don't do it like i do let me tell you something, guys. I've learned a long time ago, people don't do everything I do. But that don't make them wrong, okay? That don't make them wrong. We need encouragement in the church today. There's too many people griping about the color of the carpet or the color of the walls or the, the, the baptistry's too cold or too hot. or They're just griping, griping, and, and not encouraging. No wonder people don't want to come in here. We're just all sad sacks. You ought to stand up here some Sunday and look out there and look at people. It's just about over. We're not, not excited. We're not spirit-filled. All we want is our belly filled. It's lunchtime. Let's go. Get on with it, Brother Todd. i got to eat. You know? And guys, there's some, great, there's some great encouragement in this church. And you guys encourage me, and I appreciate that. Let's encourage each other. Let's not the first word out of our mouth when we see each other. Did you hear what she did this week? Did you hear what that old boy did this week? Let me, oh, come here. I got something to tell you. We love to gossip. How about next time we see each other, we encourage each other. Hey, I've been thinking about you. How you doing? Isn't God good? Man, doesn't God bless you? He's just blessing me, man. It's just great. Or maybe sometimes we're in a bad, bad spot. I understand we're not going to go around smiling all the time. I know this life is hard. But you know what? Christ gives us joy. Joy isn't laughter. Joy is that I can make it because I know my Savior. And whatever I face, he's going to be there for me. And I want to encourage. And there was a man in this first church, his name was Barnabas. And that's what he did. That was his ministry. 
I'm going to be an encourager. Miss Carla, we may start an encourager ministry after compassion, you know. We need that. And that's what this compassion ministry is going to be about, is encouraging people that don't get to see people. Let them know there's still somebody out there that loves them. And there's been people doing that already, and I appreciate everyone that goes out, sets with people, and, and visits people, and takes them a cake, or, or takes them something, and just loves them and prays with them. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. And they put it at the apostles' feet. Now, Barnabas sold this piece of property, and, and man, everybody was impressed. But there was a couple in the church that thought, hey, I like that. I like the attention he got. You know, we all like it to be about me. And that's what we were talking about this morning, studying, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know what? When we remember the Sabbath day, that's one time it's not about us. You're sitting in here this morning, guess what? It's not about you. It's not about me as far as that goes. This is about Jesus today. This is about God, what he's done, putting our focus on him. And man, that's good. And that's what was going on. But there was some hypocrisy. Now, that's one of our favorite words that we hear today. Why don't you go to church? There's too many hypocrites up there. There's too many hypocrites up there. Hypocrisy comes from a word where you put on a mask. You ever go to, you know, your kids love Halloween, and they put on a mask. You know, they're going to be Superman, or they're going to be a princess, or they're going to be something. But it's not who they are. It's a mask. And guys, when we come in here and we put on one mask and we go out there in this world and we put on another mask, that's hypocrisy at its best. Christ asks us to be who we are. And, and listen, that's not going out there and being a perfect person, all right? Yes, we should strive to be holy. Yes, we should strive to do the right thing. But there are going to be times we get it wrong, all right? There are going to be times we get it wrong. But when we start to the point where we're saying, let me put on my mask and you know what? I'm so much holier than this other person. I'm so much better than the other people around me. I, I, oh, just look how, how much I give to the church. Look what I do for the church. And then we go out there and we cuss our neighbor or we, we treat them terribly or we're out there just griping all the time at people. That's a pro, it's a hypocrisy. That's an intentional, uh, going against what God asks us to do, going against the spirit that he's given us. There's going to be times we fail. There's going to be times we sin. That's not hypocrisy. That's, that's because we're sinners. But when we intentionally go out there and lie about the Spirit and lie about God we have in us and lie about the way God's working our life, that's hypocrisy. And that's what was going on here. Let's read about a very unusual day at church, and you tell me if you've ever been at church at a day like this. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, has also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge... Now, that's very rare right there. Guys, we usually don't do anything with our wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, here's what he's done. He liked what Barnabas did, so he's going to try to get some attention for himself and his wife. He bought a piece of property, and instead of bringing all the money like Barnabas did, he laid just part of it and kept some for himself. Now, that's not the problem. Robbing God here is not the message, all right? He was not asked to go sell the property. He was not asked to give any of it to the church. But the problem is he lied about what he did. And remember, we're at the very, we're at one of the first stages of a new error in the church, and God judges sin very harshly when that comes. Now, he's done this before. Back in, uh, in Leviticus 10, he killed Nadab and Abihu 
for bringing false fire. God said there's just a certain time to bring fire. Fire represented Christ uh, and God, and he wanted Moses to do that. And here these guys put some fire in their uh, their sensors and brought it in and, and waved false fire in front of God. And God just consumed them with fire. He just burned them up on the spot. That's pretty harsh. There was another time, and that was the beginning of the law. There was another time that he killed Achan. Some of you have been studying Judges and, and Joshua and all that in your studies. He killed Achan for disobeying orders as they entered the promised land. Remember what they said? Don't take any of that stuff. Leave it all here. Don't take any of that. It's from sinful people. But Achan got big eyes. And his pocketbook could have got filled. And he seen some stuff that he really wanted. And he took it and he buried it under his tent. God found out about it. They lost the battle. Joshua had to come back and find out what's going on, and Achan had to come forward and say, it's me. It's me. I did exactly what God asked me to do, and they put him to death. The beginning of the promised land, the beginning of this new era in the Jewish people's life. God dealt with sin very harshly. Here we are, thousands of years later, we're at the beginning of a new era in the, in the church, and God is dealing with sin very harshly. Let me show you how. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Now, how did, Paul, how did Peter know this? Because he was spirit-filled. Because the power of God that was working in the early church, he didn't have to ask him, he didn't have to guess. Here he walks in, Ananias lays his money on the altar. Peter looks right at him and says, You're lying. And I bet he went, oh my goodness, how does he know? He said, you're lying. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You ever lied to the Holy Spirit? You ever told the Holy Spirit that you were going to do something? Or you ever tried to lie to God? You ever bargain with God? God, if you take care of this, I'll do this. God, if you take care of this, I'll do that. Guys, don't bargain with God. God's not going to work on that anyway. He don't work on a bargaining system. God works on his will be done. He works on his will be done. When you pray, Lord, your will be done, don't bargain with God. God, if you save mama, I'll live for you. If you, you'll do this, I'll go to church. Don't bargain with God. Because if you don't do it, then you're lying to the Holy Spirit. That's big. That's serious. That's serious. Don't, didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Woo! When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Oh, my goodness. I would say this was a rather unusual day at church. You're lying. You're lying. You know better than that. Boom, he died. Let's read on. And great fear seized all that heard what had happened. I imagine so. (laughs) I imagine so. This wasn't done in the back room somewhere. This was right out in the open. Peter's talking to him just like I'm talking to you now. He said, you just lied. You lied to God. You lied. You you didn't have to bring the money here. You didn't have to do anything. But you wanted, you know what got in the way? Pride. All the way back to the garden, what got in the way? Pride. What caused Satan to fall from heaven? Pride. They They wanted the accolades. They wanted people to say, oh, Man, that Ananias and Sapphira, aren't they wonderful people? Did you see all the money they gave the church? Guys, let me tell you something. If you're giving money to the church so you can get noticed, you better watch it. You better give it to God for his glory, 
for his honor. You give out of your heart. Don't lie to God. Just give out of your heart. Give out of your heart. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Man, they had judge, jury, and funeral all in one minute there. Now, let's move on. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now, that's a, that's a very interesting statement there. You know, Satan will try to keep you in the dark as long as he can. Now, these two, you know, what did it say earlier? With, with full knowledge of his wife, he sold a piece of property. But here, she's in the dark. She don't know what's happened. Satan's going to try to keep you in the dark as long as he can, young people and young, young men and women and, and old people and old women. Uh, all of us, old, old men, we're, he's going to keep us in the dark. He's going to try to lie to us. Remember that. Satan is a liar and a deceiver. That's all he is. He's going to show you the world and give you nothing but death. That's what he is. He's death and destruction. Now, he's got people believing he can give them all kind of great things, but he's nothing about that. He is a liar and a deceiver. That's it. That's it. Don't, don't trust anything he says. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, listen, he said, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his, fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard it and all who heard about these events. Two people dead in one service. Now, I've been in a few services where there was a lot of dead people, but it was, you know, kind of spiritually, you know, sleep. These people literally died. Why would God be so harsh? It was a brand new era of the brand new church, and he wanted us to see how he would not, he would not allow sin in his church. Let me ask you this. What if Christ dealt with religious deceivers that way today? How many think of us could make it out the door this morning? Mm. That's kind of scary, isn't it? How many of us you think would get out the door this morning for deceiving Christ? Mm. I wonder why he deals with us differently now than he did then. Because we can read back and see how much he hates sin, how much he hates deception in his church. Guys, listen to me. We are to have such fear and reverence and awe of God when we walk in these doors before we even walk up and open the door. We should say, Lord, wash me white as snow before I come into this place. Now, there's nothing special about the metal and the carpet and all this. There, this is just building materials. But in here is the presence of God, I feel. That's what, we, that's what we long for is the presence of God. You hear Brother Danny pray just about every Sunday, Lord, come in and be with us. Come and, come and commune with us. And, and before we even walk in that door, guys, we are to have such fear and reverence that we want to make sure we're clean before we even come in these doors. Mm. Mercy, mercy. Hebrews 10 says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Mm. We see the progression here in the early church. Back a few chapters over, we've seen great power. We'll see it again here in just a minute as the apostles 
healed a lot of people. There was great power. As we see 2,000 and 5,000 give their heart to Jesus, we see great grace. And now at the end of the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we see one more great. There was great fear. And guys, I'm telling you, all three of these must be present in a spirit-filled church. There must be great power. There must be great grace. Listen to me. There is nobody in this room better than the other. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. What makes us level is his grace. And we should just, we should hug that. We should embrace it. We cannot sit here and say, I'm better than him or her. We are all the same in God's eyes. We are just sinners saved by grace. And because of those two things, great power and great grace, great fear should seize our heart. And that's not a fear like, oh, I'm scared of God. It's a reverence. And we should be a little afraid of God, to be honest with you. I think we've got so lighthearted about God and so irreverent. You know, we, we live in a casual society. You know, I understand that the tie is a, is a fleeting thing. You know, and I don't, I don't care about if you wear a tie or not. But, but I think this. I think with a little of this going away from dressing up our best to come to church and, and all those things through the years, I think we've also lost some reverence for God. That's just a Todd thing. And I'm not saying go dress up next Sunday. I'm fine with the way you are. But I'm just saying our mentality, our mentality is so casual. Everything's casual, casual, casual. I'm telling you one thing, our relationship with Jesus Christ should not be casual. There should be great fear, great, great reverence in a holy God. These people came into his place and lied. They lied. And they died. Guys, we should be... Do you know that God holds... I've always heard a preacher preach when I was little. He holds your, the breath of, of, of your life in his hand and all he's got to do is close it. And you're gone. Think about that kind of power. He has that kind of power, guys. And we want to play with God. We want to play games with God. We want to come and go as we please. We want to pray when we please. We want to read his word when we please. We want all the benefits, but we don't want any of the commitment. Guys, this was big. This was huge. The Savior that holds the breath, our breath in his hand can just close it at any minute. And our life is over. That requires some reverence. That requires some fear. And as we just read here, great fear, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You don't think that word got out that week in the, in the community? Did you hear what happened down at church yesterday? You know Ananias, don't you? You know Sapphira, his wife? They went into church and lied to God, and they fell dead on the spot. Now, I don't know if that happened here this morning. I don't, I, we might not have anybody here next week. Everybody might be scared to death to come in here, you know? But what, what an amazing story. You go, man, that's kind of a weird story right there in the middle of all this people getting saved and everything. But I think we need to stop and pause a moment, and we need to look a moment for the power of God. And respect that. And, and go back to focus, refocusing on him that he allows us to come into this house of worship on the weekends and come and, and be with him and to worship him and that our hearts should be clean. And if it's not clean, we should get it clean before we maybe even come into this place or why, at least while we're here. And it refocuses, it washes us white as snow and we're forgiven and we go back out there in the world and we tell that good news to people around us. 
And we take that great power, and we take that great grace, and we take that great fear, and we take it with us, and we share it with the people around us. And we live in that way. We live afraid not to raise our kids in the Father's way because we're afraid that they may go away, away from Christ. We live in fear not to give everything we've got to Christ because we don't own it anyway. We live in fear not to respect our wife or our husband because we don't, we've been given that by God. We live in fear of that. We, we, we reverence that. We cherish that. And we should live in fear and thankfulness that God would cease and cease to save us. That he would give us this great grace so that we may come to know him as Savior. Man, we're not even close to being on God's level. The world's trying to get him down and get him down. They want to be level with God. I'm telling you folks, we won't ever get there. We're not even one iota close of who God is. And I'm thankful for that. I need a big God in my life because I do a lot of big, stupid things. I need a big God. And I'm so glad I do. I'm glad I have a God like that. And I pray that I will be more fearful of him in reverence and realizing that when I pray, I am in the presence of a holy God, a perfect God. And he allows me to come with my sin and ask for forgiveness and for me to bow down to his, his feet and, and say, Lord, make me who you want me to be. Oh, mercy. What great love he has for us. What great love he has for us. Let me read you this verse over in Hebrews. It's not up there, guys. Over in Hebrews as we close. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, amen, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptantly with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. With reverence and awe before, for our God, not just some God out there, but the ones that accepted Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, our God, that he allows us to call him that. Heavenly Father, our God is a consuming fire. Whew. Someday he's going to roll that fire out on this world, guys. And anything that's not done in his name and for him is going to burn up and it's just going to be ashes. All those big toys we got, all those big homes we got, there's nothing wrong with those things if they're put in their proper perspective. But everything we're putting our hope and faith and trust in beside Jesus Christ, it's going to burn. And it's just going to be ashes. And only the things that we've done for Jesus Christ are going to stand. Do not lay for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust and things like that corrupt. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for they are eternal. They will never fade away. The consuming fire does not burn those things up. Those are done for the Father, and he uses those and multiplies those. And we realize one more time the great power, the great grace, and the great fear that we have for our Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jehovah. His name is Almighty. His name is Messiah. Emmanuel. His name is the Son of God. Praise be to the Son of God. May we pray. God, when we get just a, 
a part of you the way we should. It just overwhelms us. We feel so little and insignificant. But Lord, we know that you give us worth. Lord, you give us worth through you. Lord, I look around at a world that just is so seeking for someone to notice them. They're looking for worth in all kind of things. They're trying to be noticed. They're trying to get people to look at them. And Lord, they feel so inadequate and they feel so unworthy. But Lord, that's because the worth comes from you. Lord, help us to understand that. Help us not to look in the mirror for our worth, but help us to look in your word and to you. You're the one that gives us worth. You give our, our life meaning. You give us hope and joy. You give us salvation for all that will call upon your name. Lord, help us to have this great fear. Help us to take the great power and, and help us to realize what great grace we've been given a part of. I thank you for these people, Lord. I thank you for their, their faithfulness to come and worship. And Lord, I pray for First Baptist Church that we will be unified. I, I pray that we will be magnified and, and we will give you glory. And I pray that you will continue to multiply our numbers. And Lord, I don't only pray for multiplication, but I pray for a saving and then for a baptism, but then also a commitment to go to work for you. Lord, just speak to hearts this morning. Help us to realize how great your love is for us. Lord, help us take just a few minutes and with fearful respect, thank you for being a holy God. Lord, may we... Get rid of the lies and deceit and anything that is sin in our life before we leave here. And may we ask you to help us as we go daily into this life. Lord, thank you for listening to our prayer.